Hi to everybody and their neighbor. I'm Jet Stone, and you're listening to Gear and Gigs, the podcast. So glad you guys could drop by. With me today is a special treat for me, one of my favorite people. Reggie Elson is here, a member of the band Tone Castle, as well as former member of the retail music community. Yeah, the, both those things are true. As yes. well as being a, uh, a a TV production guy for a long time. And, uh, you know, one of these days we're going to have to talk about that side of things. That could yeah, be interesting. You know, that, that's, that's the thing is like people think that's so interesting. And really, when like once it's not, it's well, not, it's, it's just, you know, but I, I get it. I get it. But yeah, this um, this little adventure we have right now, this little band Tone Castle, which um, very proud to be part of. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. I think I might have even said this before. I've been in a lot of bands over the course of my life, and in a few of them, I really dug the music. Right? Not all of them, um, but this band is the first band I've been part of that I would buy the CD even if I wasn't in the band, didn't know it. Well, you know you, what I mean? You still owe us, actually. Well, I mean, the, the you, you, you said you said ninety days, man. You said ninety that's, days. That's true. Um, well, that's that's kind of you to say. That's yeah, yeah. That's yeah awesome, it's actually. I love. I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan, and I think it's. Uh, I think it was a great project, and it came out fantastic. Well, thanks. That's very kind. It's uh, instrumental psychedelic kind of, jazz. Yeah, fusion, kind of fusion, kind of jazz rock. If you like rock still, and wanted you know, a little a bit more sophisticated. A lot of synthesizers. It's true. So that, that takes us to today's topic. There you go. I thought that might just all of a sudden. Segway man. Look at you. Segway man. Synthesizers. Let's talk about synthesizers, because you and I are both lovers of that genre. Oh, my God. Yeah, we between the two of us... Um, we're, we're like one crazy synth nut. And we're not locked into one kind. That's the nice thing is we like a lot of different kinds of uh, synths. Variety is good in all things. And, you know, um, you got into synths probably before I did, but, you know, it's been a long time uh, that synths have been around and we've seen them morph and change from, you know, analog to digital to sampling to wavetables to the glorious blends and hybrids that went from there. But... What we have today, I would say, and, and I, I'm sure the phrase has been used elsewhere, but it's it's like a golden age of synthesizers. Oh, I really. totally agree. I totally agree. I, and it's the, the, there was a resurgence of analog in the middle, late 90s, right? And um, and then all of a sudden, analog was cool, and, and everybody wanted to have that. But from that, um, the digital, people that were making digital or wavetable synths or all these other kinds were also, technology was just getting to the point where they could put so much power into a little 49 keyboard, right? And keep the price to, you know, affordable to musicians, not like some of the really crazy stuff that only the studios, the pro studios ever really right. get to experience. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I would argue that the, because of all that, where we are right now today is is the the current peak of a golden age of synthesizers that's been going on for about 25 years. Because everything's available. Everything, yeah. Whatever I you mean, want. My God, right now. At every a, price point. There's a, yes. And, and in fact, like right now, the what seems to be the most popular and, and uh, wanted kind of thing is, is a multi-voice polysynth. Something, you know, something where you can do those massive big pads. And, uh, and virtually everybody has a flagship version of something like that, a polysynth, whether it be analog, digital, or wavetable, or granular, or whatever, you know. And, and from price points, start, I mean, like, if you stick with analog, right, the, the Moog one 
It comes in two different versions. You can get a 16 voice or a, uh, or no, an eight or a 16 voice. And the thing about that is eight voice. Are you the, cheating the, with paper? I am. I, I have a, just wow. because I'm not really good with remembering what things cost. I remember, I can remember the gear, right. but the cost of the gear sometimes gets a little fuzzy. Well, you, um, you artists, you divas. Eh, whatever. Um, but the Moog one, the eight voice. <laughs> Spoken like <laughs> an artist diva. <laughs> eh, whatever. The smaller eight voice version is uh, 6,500 bucks. So, At all? Right. And so, and I believe it goes way north of eight when you go to the 16 voice. But, you know, as a comparison, Arturier they make the uh what was it called the 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 matrix brute which oh yeah isn't quite i mean and it's kind of an ingenious design it's its own thing. It? it really it's is like its own a, thing. Yeah. it is literally a matrix and i did i did have a chance to play with one of those when i was in retail when they first came out and it was uh interesting i have to say it's very interesting because it literally gives you you know here's all your that's destinations how you do all here's your patching, all your right that's basically right, yeah, like, that's on your a, like on a memory mode so, you do actual patching or yeah like on, or on a big like a modular, modular or something like that they would actual have. cords where you're patching right, right. and uh, and this just basically removes the cords and just gives you every option to go everywhere now um, i'm not 100% sure on how like on, on like old modular gear, they would have molts where you could actually, like if you only had a certain amount of something that you wanted to use, but you wanted to use it on more than one thing, then you'd be able to molt it to two, oh, de yeah, two yeah. destinations, right? And, uh, and, and I'm not sure that that is possible on that particular synth, but it uh, doesn't matter because it's just, it's fun. And it was, it was a lot of fun to play with. But, you know, there's others, digital, um, uh, digital stuff like uh, Novation makes a, a big one. In the $2,200, it's a 16 voice too. So it's like the bigger one, but it's not, it's not a Moog. I mean, that's, you know, Moog are, are real analog and, you know, real circuitry. And right. Well, they, let's get organized about this. So we're talking, yeah. we're talking how many manufacturers are out there doing, let's just talk about the analog side, mm -hmm. actual analog, not virtual analog, not, you know, synthesized in any way, the real thing, not synthesized. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, some kind Synthesize, of but some not. kind of natural synthesis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. Well, I mean, there are. There, I mean, obviously, there's Moog. Right. Um, you still have now. I guess it's sequential now. Dave Smith right. is still doing right. some analog stuff, um, but he also like Hybrids, he got right. into the hybrid stuff. And I gotta say, for, like, if I could only have one synth, I'd get a hybrid, just because, you know, regardless of how awesome a pure analog synth might sound. It's going to be limited in some way where the digital has capabilities that go beyond, what, sure, you sure. know, right. So those his hybrid synths, especially like, you know, the one I love, the Evolver, right. Um, one of my favorite synths of all time. It's just very in, complex, in, in, incredibly deep and, and incredibly amazing sounding. Um, but yeah, there's there's others that off the top of my head I can't really think. Um, uh, not Waldorf so much. How about so the new Korg, the uh, ARP? The, oh, the Korg Arp, yeah. They're right. doing a 2600, and they've already done the Odyssey. And I thought the Odyssey was really well done. I just didn't like the three-quarter scale keys. And, and I just, I've got, I'm not a good keyboard player anyway. So you get the keys too small, and it just becomes like, uh, you know, trying to play a 24-string a, a guitar. Yeah, I don't like the small keys on stuff. If it's got small keys, I'm going to hook up a right. full-size Right, hook it up to something bigger, controller. right, something yeah. you can play for real. In which case, why not just get the module? Yeah, I'm not a mini key fan. But yeah, they're supposedly doing a full-size version of the 2600, which I have to say... And it's a pretty faithful recreation of the original one, right? Yeah, I mean, so was the Odyssey, though. I mean, you know, as good as you can do with right. av available 
chips and pieces and isn't the arp isn't that what like steve miller used to use on all his I think, like yeah, jet a airliner of, a lot of people did um uh frank zappi you know when george duke played with frank zappi oh, he yeah. used an arp odyssey yeah and that's that's basically where I got turned on to ARPs. It was like it was George Duke. Right. I think a lot of people think of George Duke as like piano guy or something. Well, you know? Yeah, I mean because he's, piano he's guy, an amazing synthesizer guy. guy but, but he can play. You know, he played all kinds of stuff. Yeah, Zappa's band. Oh yeah, I could. I had no idea what that guy could do until I started listening to Zappa. I'm like, who is doing this keyboard? You're right? like, George like, Duke. I'm like, George what? Duke is like, dude was a monster. Yeah, you, that blew but, my And mind. you know, and his solo stuff later on in life, it was it's kind of R and B, kind of right. a little fusiony, little R and B. My God, the dude could sing, and that's the yeah. funny thing. Um, he never at, at first when he got became a professional musician, he was working with Zappa. He um, never really thought of himself as a singer. He was a piano player that kind of got forced to play other keyboards. And it was Frank that encouraged him to really? use, use his voice. Huh. And by the time he was, you know, out of that, my God, I think it was the late 70s, early 80s, maybe. Um, he and, and Stanley Clark did a couple of albums together, the, the uh, Clark Duke Project, huh. which, um, oh, my God, dude, those are those are some funky good. <laughs> it, really? It's again, it's very R&B, but it's um, it, it just has this substance to it. It's just I mean, how can it not? Well, he's so musical. He's very it's musical. George and Duke and tasty. Stanley Clark together. Yeah. It's like, you know. Huh. Superpower, super Winter Twin powers. I have to check that out. Yeah, I have, I have some of it on vinyl. Wow, that's the way yeah. to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, well, there's a tangent for you, but yeah, there's a tangent. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, the ARP, um, George Arp 2600, got into and the 2600, and there's. Um, well, what about the Behringer Poly D? Is now that's all analog, isn't it? Uh, Digitally controlled analog. You know, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I don't know a lot about the Behringers. Like, the fact of the matter is, is they, they, the they make point. things very, very affordable, yeah, which thing. is like younger musicians. If you're, you know, looking to get into stuff, then those are obvious choices because you get to play with something that is, you know, based on something that everybody wants. And and do it for you know not a whole lot of money. There are other um, manufacturers though that do the lower price point but still good stuff like Arturia I mentioned before. They they do the micro brute and the micro freak which are oh my god they're like three to five hundred dollars. We're talking about you know not a lot of money for pretty cool stuff. Right. And then of course Novation love Novation. I mean we got a Nova in the studio. That, is it the that, uh, mini nova? What is it? We have the. Or is it the regular nova? Ours is the regular nova. Uh, the mini nova is. Oh, a, it's the it, ultra nova. The ultra nova. Yeah, it's the big. It's the big version with the full size keys. It's still a small. Thirty seven key or whatever. Yeah, I think it's thirty seven, and it's not real big, but it is real packed. And it's again, it's that's a digital synthesizer, but my God, does it sound awesome! Yeah. And they don't. It, I didn't see. They probably still sell the ultra nova, but they have the mini nova, which basically has everything that has, but mm. in a little miniature. Right. Any key version, but you can get those for four hundred bucks. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a lot yeah, of synthesizer, lot of synth man. The base station too, another one. That's a three hundred and fifty dollar. You know, what is that? Twenty five keys, maybe. Yeah, it's it's a small one, but it's basically just a recreation of the original base station, the base synth. Now, did you mention the Moog, like the subsequent 37? Like I did. The Moog Grand makes it, I mean, the, and you know, and Moog to me, like when you say analog synths, matriarch? obviously that's going to be, yeah, they got a matriarch, a grandmother, and these are semi-modulars. So well, they sure know how to make things sound really cool and hip, don't they? Right. Oh, I mean, right. broken hip. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the grandmother, um, $1,000, and yeah. has a lot of power, and, and beyond the power it has, it has the Moog filter in it. Yeah. And let's, you know, face That's it, what you like, want with a Moog. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're buying, right? Is the their low pass filter is just nobody. Everyone has tried to recreate it, and yeah. unless they steal it, they don't. Yeah, right. It's, um, it, and they still do the subsequents now too. The the which are the the fatty 
Right. You know, the original, the original little fatty, you know how much of a fan I am of that. It's, that's just like, I call you fatty fan. All I the know time. it's like the little fatty, I think should, it should be made into law and we should talk to whoever we need to talk to locally and get, the I'll get them on the, the phone. It's like, it should be a law that if you're going to learn how to play a synthesizer, you should start with a little fatty. Just so the you old, the original, the four, of yeah, get your, get your, cause it'll get everything you need to know. And you can, from there, you can just get all crazy with it. Right. I get that. It's, it's, uh, it is like synth school. It is. It is. It's very yeah. much like synth school. It's and it's very, easy and it's very, to understand. And very simple too. Yeah, it's all to laid understand. out. And in some ways, the that's what the uh, the matriarch and the grandmother remind me of is like just a keyboard synth, but each section of it is painted a different color. Right. Although I'm, I'm not, you know what? I'm not even 100 percent sure if you can exchange those or take them out if they are actually modules. I don't think they are. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't they think might they might not are. be. I think they just look like modules. Yeah. I don't I mean, like the great sounding synth. No, I'm not. I don't either. I think I they look cheap. Yeah. And to be fair, they are not. Um, like actually the subsequence the, there's a 25 key and a 37 key and a basically sub fatty, which they now call the subsequent and their subsequent, you know, whatever. And they're great since, and they are basically, um, you know, the offspring of the original little fatty. They just, right. you know, which is funny because the, the, the fatty series has no color basically. Right. Right. Very, they're just, yeah. Gray, gray and black. black. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you think back, Moga's had a kind of a, an interesting history with their look because they, they, I'll use the word oscillate just to be funny. Uh, between this, uh, we'll have wooden ends on either side, and we're all business with black and white fonts or silver, and you know, easy to work. It looks like a laboratory sort of a setup, you know, from Europe or something. And then, then they come out with like the Moog Source, which looks like you know Fisher Price came out, watched the Partridge Family, and went, "Oh, I like that bus. Let's do something like that." And then. Now the new ones, once again, they kind of go into these two different camps of the two looks. The Moog One yeah. looks has that. Oh my God, the Moog One is their flagship, and now, it's the though. sexy the, original it look. It is, and it's like, oh my God. But then you look at the beautiful. grandmother; it's like, how can that be from the same? But you know, I guess it's like the uh, the Chevy Corvette and Chevette both being from the same company. I guess you can have very different looks, but still, it's surprising that that they expect you to take the grandmother and the, and the matriarch is, as and seriously I mean, as you would the it others. Would, it would make more sense to me. It, because the subsequent five or the, the, the what is it, 25 and 37, um, the, even the 37, the bigger one, it's like a thousand dollar synthesizer. Yeah. That's and not even cheap. the little fatty, when the little fatty was new on the market, they were 1500 bucks. So this is like essentially the subsequent packs a lot more um, hands on control. And I think it actually has a few features that the little fatty never dreamed of and for less money. So, I mean, these are, like, if you want a monosynth, if that's what you're looking for, a real analog monosynth, those subsequents look amazing. Yeah. But then again, you have the, like, that's 1000 bucks or 850 for the 25-key version and the Micro Brute and the Micro Creek. Well, they're three, 300 500 bucks. you know what I mean? It's, like, yeah. substantially less. It's not, I mean, and they're analog, too. Right. Those are analog synths. But when you get to the big stuff like the Moog One, I mean, the Moog One, I'm not sure I would love to have one of those. But uh, and I'd even be happy with the Chinty Eight Voice version. You know what I'm Chinty, saying? Chinty, yeah, yeah. How oh, many oscillators oh, per yeah. voice? Um, I, you know what? To be honest, I don't have stats in front of me. I, I think it's a three oscillator synth. I think it might, it is, it yeah. might be four. I think it's three. But, but I think three makes sense. Yeah. Three is kind of common for. So you know, that's twenty-four this, oscillators, right? Though, that's, exactly, and those are real oscillators. Right. Those are actual circuits. Yeah, yeah. it's a thing. And you can always get the 16 voice version. It's not twice as much money. It's not twice as much, but it does push, you know, toward 10. But man, oh man, what a what a. Oh my God, yeah. No, if I had the money to spend, I would definitely have a Moog one. There's no doubt about and it. And they only and the money. other and then the other one um, that I would have to pair it with because I'd have to do. I wouldn't be able to just 
It's like getting married. And when you, in real life, when you get married, that's your one. But if you're marrying a synthesizer, it is just it, by law, you should have more than one. You should have a minimum of two, and you might need three or four, but right. a minimum of two. And so if the Moog one is going to be one, then the Waldorf Quantum has got to be the other, uh, right? Because it's two ends of the spectrum. Well, let's get to that in a minute, because that's a very complex synth that kind of... Oh, that's amazing. Very complex amazing synth that wraps thing, yeah. up a lot of stuff. Let's, um, we're in analog land. Mm-hmm. Which which does bring up the joke, you know what they found on the uh, third deck of the Enterprise in the bathroom? Captain's log. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's nothing. That's, that's, it's, no. yeah, it's just one of those. It's, you, it's back in the news now no, that Picard's got a show again. And you know what they found the next day? Oh, I'm afraid to ask. Captain's log supplemental. Oh. <laughs> See, I mean, yeah. it's those kind of things where you just take ordinary words that in, in context with their intended you know, existence, it's not a big deal at all. And sully but, them, sully you know, them. But when you sully mis, them up mis, like that, it's like, wow, I mean, you know, basically, and, and I know this from personal experience because I have a friend who basically I can't say anything, literally anything, without it being turned into um, some sort of like, oh, was that, off, your, off was, color was that your porn name? That sort of thing, you know oh, what yeah, I mean? Oh, yeah, I hate people like that. Oh, dude, I, I will never, don't worry, he and you will never meet. Oh, good. Yeah, it'll never happen. And there's more than that's more than that. I mean, dude is uh he, he's not well he's not your kind of guy. Yeah, doesn't yeah. sound smart. Well, I mean, that's a smart is such a tricky word, isn't right? it? It is. I can't spell it. Well, it doesn't matter whether you can or not. Understanding it's mean it means somebody that knows more than you do. Oh, well, they're man. smart. I think that's probably a large percentage. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's analog. Yeah, there. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of other manufacturers that make analog synthesizers, um, and I'm sure even. But I think the vast majority, though, once you start getting into the like multi-voice polysynths, the right. the big ones, the right. flagships, um, there's there aren't there aren't many other than Moog right now that are fully that. Is the ARP the ARP is? The ARP is yeah, but the ARP is the twenty six hundred is not. It's not polyphonic. It's not a. It's it, not polyphonic. No, there's still it's still a monosynth, and they they might be able to, you know, if it, depending on how many oscillator banks it has, split them off to um, make it appear. Uh, do chords or something. right, like each one being a, like kind of like on the Evolver where you could, you have four oscillators and you can tune them all. Right. And on most of the analog synths, you don't get that choice. You can detune them a certain amount one right. way or the other. And you can tune them as far as octave, whatever whatever oh, pitch right, they're sure. at. But uh, you know, get, saying you know, like instead of it being a C, which basically everything on keyboards is based around the C, right? Um, you can put a you know a G or an E or sure. an F or whatever you know, and actually right. tune the oscillator so one key sounds like a chord. So of the ones we've talked about, how many of those are monosense? Um, of the, well. Of the big polys, most all the other ones are monosynths. No, most just of the ones we've talked about so far. So the micro brute and all that, those are all. Well, the micro brute is because they have two. The micro brute actually does have some polyphony, but I'm not sure how much it is. It was because they had the the micro and then they had the mono. So they had like a mono brute, which yeah, was a which monophonic, monophonic, right? Yeah, yeah. And and the thing with those is on the on the Arturiers is they're one oscillator synth, so they're they're like you talk about the little fatty being simple. Those are simple too. Another great option to learn synthesis. So right. that's what it should be if you can afford the whatever. And of course now little fatties are outdated and you can't find them, but you can still find them used for nine hundred, eight hundred, thousand somewhere. Right. You know, um, that would be your Rolls Royce learner. 
And what about and, like an Akai Timberwolf for your lower end? Yeah, sure. That, or I mean, or the uh, Roland Gaia, right? The SH. Oh yeah, the 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 one. the Gaia. Yeah, that's a. Gaia, Gaia, I yeah. like that synth too. It's it's um it's pretty simple, but it's basically three in one, so you can stack three different sounds essentially. Right. You have three different you know patches if you if you want per patch, which is you know kind of handy. And it, yeah. you know it's a Roland, so it has that you know kind of Juno. Now that's simulated analog correct or is that actually, that is virtual analog it's yeah. virtual analog. Uh, virtual analog which is a, a, so let's a talk nice, about virtual analog virtual analog is basically a digital synth mimicking of analog synth so what do we got out there now today because obviously that was not still available what's out there now that does that you know what that's funny too those used to be a lot more popular 10 15 years ago because now the hybrids and different and other forms of synthesis are also kind of creeping in so it it kind of changes the landscape a little bit about what's available. And and there's just a lot available. I mean, just on the big, giant, you know, multi-voice polysynths, everybody has one. Everybody does one now. And they range anywhere from, like I said, on the Moogs for, you know, $6,500, $8,000 or whatever, all the way down to uh, a big-time profit from sequential. You can, it, it, 4000 would be like the the upper end but 1500 on the lower end on a profit synth now is that and, analog or, or hybrid those are hybrid because okay. they and i don't know the new ones like there's a profit six and revision two since he turned from dave smith instruments to sequential, to sequential. yeah I, like everything that i've ever owned was dsi so it was older right. older stuff and uh since it's changed to sequential i haven't got to really play around with much of it I haven't been around it. Right. Like this, this happened since I've been in the business. So sure. it's like, you know, unless I go seek it out, which. So what is the Evolver? Is that a hybrid? The Evolver is a hybrid, yeah. Okay. Yeah, two analog oscillators. Although this is tricky too, because like when a lot of times when, when you talk about analog, um, oscillators like Moogs are VCO. So they're voltage controlled oscillators. It's real. It's a real analog circuit. And it in the, uh, some of the hybrids, they're digitally controlled, so they're DCOs, and it's still analog because it's still an actual oscillator. It's not something simulating that, right? Right, but it but it's not controlled by voltage. It's controlled digitally, so you have more control over. So in other words, they're way more stable tuning wise when they're DCOs versus VCOs, but then they also lose a certain amount of character because they're so stable, right? Because they're so stable, right. right? So then you have to have extra controls, which they usually do, to where you can throw it? a little random or some slop or uh, something like that, just so wow. it's not quite so perfect. So we had, we had to perfect it and back it up. Yes, <laughs> which I think is just wow. astounding. But I mean, that's kind of you know, the, everybody was doing virtual analog. Some of the like some of the really top end virtual analog back in the day, Nord did a lot of that. Um, the the Access, the Virus series. Oh yeah. So the, the A B, and then you know, I think they ended on whatever one was virus whatever there's it they make a small 37 key version and then a full-size 61 key version and, and wasn't the virus guy that he was the guy that went on to do the uh i think it was the kemper right you know what you might be right i don't remember i think that's correct i'm gonna look that up i think you should because uh the facts are always good even when you're making up a story <laughs> <laughs> not sure what that means that's I don't interesting either. i don't either give me give me a break yeah, nowadays, just on that virtual analog thing, it's like there are, like to go back to the Blofeld, the, not Blofeld, but the, I love the Blofeld too, but that's a much smaller, less capable thing than the Quantum. And the Quantum 
has, uh, I think it's three oscillators, but each oscillator has four different options of what type of oscillator. So you have, you know, the first option would be a VA version of analog oscillators, all your normal shapes, triangles and, you know, saws one way or the other, squares and pulse waves, all, all your standard analog stuff. So that is one type. And another one is wavetables. And it's basically all the old PPG wavetables and everything that's in the blowfield, and then some with sampling wavetables and all these weird things. And plus, that synth allows you to manipulate. <laughs> it allows you to manipulate, manipulate. the actual waveforms with your finger on the touchscreen and basically just get the randomized waves, which don't always sound great, but. The potential is there to come up with something that you've never heard. Right. Right. And then so, trying to duplicate that later. Right. <laughs> and then they have a fourth a fourth kind, which is basically uh, what you call them, the, uh, the granular Don't synthesizer. Throw that kind of lingo around, man. The more esoteric forms of synthesis. Oh yeah, know, the granular, the granular stuff, stuff yeah, which and, never that appealed to me that much. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's gritty. <laughs> that's, the, that's the part. Of, now I just I just looked it up, and uh, it was Kemper. It was Kemper, okay. So the Kemper profiler is made by the same guys that uh, did the uh, virus. Well, they which, did a great job on the virus. And it's still available. Oh, but it is, yeah. What's the new version called? So there's a couple of them. There's a virus T... T-I, yeah. T-I-2, T-I-2. Uh-huh. 61 lightweighted keys, and then a T-I-2 dark star, yeah. which is 37 keys, and then a T-I-2 polar... And I don't know what the difference is between that and the Dark Star. They both have 37 Is the Polar on. just... Um, they, a different color? Is it just a different color or is the Polar a desktop version? No, they both have they keys. They both have keys. Okay, so... And a, then there is a, a TI-2 desktop tabletop synth. And those range from like 1,700 euros on the tabletop on up to 23 and a half for the big guy. Yeah, and see, that's what I mean is like by com- comparing those prices to like the... Uh, the the mode which is like probably at the top of the line price watch but that Waldorf is no cheapy either. Was that four it's, grand? It's yeah, forty three hundred bucks, and mm-hmm. it's eight voice, so it's an it's not it doesn't have the sixteen voices that you can get on the Moog, but it you has, buy two, you buy two of them for eight grand, and then you right get. right well you could but you don't have to because eight voices on a on a synth that deep, and and that's also a hybrid too. So they do have um some like the filters are analog. Like going back to Dave Smith or sequential, even his LFOs, which are technically LFOs, but they're it's, everything's clocked digitally, right? So some of that causes stepping when you're adjusting something in real uh, the time, right? Noise, you get yeah. the little, and, and I have to say, it, it's not. I've, I've heard really bad stepping on other other synthesizers in my life, and the Dave Smiths, it, if it's there, it's not like in your face right. there, but it's you know, so they're they're pretty small increments, but they're still increments. Yeah, nowadays they just have so much, they just pack so much power into a, a keyboard, you know, from those top end ones that are expensive all the way down to like Roland. Roland's flagship Jupiter X or Jupiter 10 or whatever they're calling it, which is the same kind of thing and probably has even more polyphony than the, than the 16 voices, probably 32 or 64, God knows what. And those are only 2,500 bucks. Wow. And that's way more in the like, you know, everyday guy. Well, I can, I could get one of those. I could, I could get a, a Jupiter, but, uh, this is going to be a huge support library. And oh my God. Yeah. Know. And, and, and it's, it's rolling, you yeah, know, it's, it's going to be reliable. It's rolling. And they Toyota. put the Jupiter name on it. Not that everything they've put the Jupiter name on should have had it, but, um, certainly most of it. I mean, we have a Jupiter. We have a couple of Jupiters in the studio. That's true. We, we have, love them. Yeah, and and the little tiny one is a, 
a, a small digital version of a Jupiter 8, which What's is JP4. You know, What's it called? JPO8. Oh, JPO8. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a little tiny thing. Yeah. Mini keys that we now yeah, have hooked up to a, right. a full size key controller. Yeah, it's a it's a good sense. Now, this what about this dark star we've got over here? What is that? Now oh, that's see, not to be confused a, with the virus. Dark no, star. it's the, a whole different thing. I, I'm I've played around with that, but I'm not super familiar with the brand and the, and the stuff. In fact, I haven't really figured that out yet. Because when you're you know when you're if you're just sitting there trying to figure it out, that's one thing. But when you're in a live jam and trying to perform with it, you know you don't learn too much about it. You just kind of fumbling your way through whatever. So what about the uh, the Waldorf Blofeld? Oh my god, one of my favorite digital synths. And it is that's a that's another one that would fall into that category where it's it has three oscillators. The first two have um a, a whole bank of amp virtual analog, right? All your saw square, all that kind of stuff. Sure. And then it then it has another entire bank of wavetables, which at the time and this they these have been around for a while. It's like an incredible amount of wavetables, like everything that was in all their previous wavetable synths, and they and they were like the kind of well, that was the, the big the stuff like Rush was using. Yeah, and that, that was that was they were the leaders in that. Frankie technology. goes to Hollywood, and, and uh, so all of that, and then some, and then it has a third entire bank of samples. Plus, um, on the keyboard version, I have the keyboard version. You it automatically comes with the license to download um, other samples. Oh, like there's there's a like a user bank where you can actually put your own samples on there and then use those oh, wow. anyway, anyhow. And then oscillator three doesn't have, it only has the virtual analog. So your third one is always, you know, triangle, although you get square because they're, again, those are, that's digital. That right. whole thing is digital. What you get with that, there was more options. Yeah. Most analog synthesizers, it'll have a, a low pass filter and then maybe it'll have a high pass filter as well. Right. And on a, on something like a Blofeld or any digital kind of thing, or even right? the, the even the virtual analogs, yeah, you have multiple filters, and not only multiple filters, but multiple filters with you know high pass, low pass, band pass, um, oh my god, like comb filters, just whatever whatever kind of filters you can use on a synthesizer, it, it's an option. And you know, filters are something we should probably have a show about sometime because they're they're useful in. Guitar and bass and recording and obviously keyboards and you know filters are such a big thing. We were working with a key, uh, I mean a guitar pedal earlier today, and there's a little knob on it that's just a filter knob. Yeah, and yeah, it, mid filter. And it's a small little knob compared to the other knobs. You'd think the designers must not have thought this was super critically important, so it must just be a fine adjustment or whatever. So we're playing with the pedal and it sounds fine, and then he starts dialing in the filter knob, and all of a sudden the the pedal changed completely. I mean, it had three personalities depending on where that filter was or more, and it was so important to getting successful results. I was surprised at how important that was, but then I started thinking back to the times we've used filters for different things oh my God, in creative yeah. ways, and it's like, wow, a filter is such a an organic way to change a sound. Yeah, it's funny because it's anything but organic, and yet that's what it sounds like. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's literally a. Well, put your hand over your ear. That's, that's a filter, right? It, I mean, it's, know, there's it filters we're used to the filters idea out of filters. certain frequencies. Yeah. The, of course, when you first when you get your first synthesizer and you've never played one before, that's the first thing you do is start playing with the filter because it is one of the most noticeable changes in the timbre of the sound. You know, right? it's interesting to me though that they don't on. I've never seen a synthesizer, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I've never seen a synthesizer that had, right next to the old volume control, a tone knob. Just an overall master final 
tone because, because the filter is your tone. I, I guess, but you know what I mean? You feel like that's more creating the sound rather than the final, I'm in this venue and I'm coming through these speakers, so I just wanted something that's not saved with the patch that I can just right now dial You'd have to that. use the EQ on your mixer. On, or the amp yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But you know what I mean? On your guitar, they give you a tone knob. Why not on a keyboard? Well, you need it more because you have that filter, and the filter is it takes care of every all your tonal needs. But you have to remember where your filter is assigned and what and which filter you're adjusting. Well, yeah, there's multiple ones. But well, if there's a tone knob, you don't have to remember anything. On the go, blow hey, filter, I, th I think there's, um, oh my God, it's at least 12 or 16 slots for modulation where you can literally take anything that is on uh, the oscillators, the LFOs, the envelopes, the, the shapes of all these things, the speeds of all these things. I mean, you break it down to everything, and all of those things are available as both sources and destinations. So you can do all this weird flip-floppy stuff. Like, What if you set it to itself? Uh, you can. Um, it, it's kind of pointless. But you, you, I, maybe you can't. Maybe if you have LFO4 selected on one side, it's no longer on the other list. I don't remember. I haven't played around with my Blofeld. Sorry, I used to test video games, so I, and, and your job is to break it, right? So right? I immediately think, oh, how, how can we mess up that up? That well, you can't. I mean, it's obviously all internally routed, but... Right. Um, but it, the point being is like there are so many options that you would never see on a, on a an analog, especially an analog monosynth. You, there would be no room on it to have all these things. Right. And that's the that's the magic of mixing the two technologies, the the digital and the analog. So what about the the interface? So you look at a Moog one; it's covered in knobs, mm -hmm. and you look at a Blofeld, and it's totally not. Right. Yeah. It's two different. You know, I gotta say. In most cases, I would prefer filled with knobs. Mm -hmm. And it might take me a week or two after I start playing with it to memorize how it's laid out and where what is. So if I'm looking for like the um, the sustain time on the second envelope, I know right where that is. I don't have to look for the envelope and then find the sustain knob or slide or whatever it would be. And that is kind of essential. Then the menu diving synths, which there were a lot of those in the 90s and early 2000s, where virtually there was a few knobs on the front where you could take care of like the filter frequency and resonance and maybe the speed of the LFO or whatever, just some real basic things. And then everything else, all the deep diving into the synth was all in menus. And you have to just scroll and scroll and select. And sometimes and it's not even in there. They expect you to hook a computer to it and do it from the computer. I've seen that too. I've never owned one of those. Um, but, you know, that, that, that whole synth... I don't like. I don't like the having to dive in there. The Blofeld, on the other hand, it's it's kind of like that Matrix. The, uh, what, what do you call it? The Matrix Brood or whatever. The Arturia that where you have the Matrix. It, it's it's just a little different. You have a row of buttons down one side, and then a row of knobs down the bottom. And each row can be whatever the light is selected on, whatever you have it on. That's what those knobs control. Also, there's the other two knobs which control things like oscillator shape and things like that. So really, you have six knobs for any function that you might need. And, it's very, and it didn't take long at all to just familiarize yourself with it and just be able to go through and, and, and do a lot of uh, some serious sound design quickly. I'll tell you what I don't like about the interfaces that are like that. And I've, you know, I've got a Blofeld. I, I, I like the sound of it very well. I never program anything on it because I, uh, there's two aspects of it I don't like. I don't like soft controls, right? I don't like it that this button means this now. Oh, now it means something else. Oh, now it means something. That drives me crazy. And it's not that I don't utilize lots of stuff in the world that's like that, but I don't like it. I would much prefer to have a placement in my mind of this function is here. 
You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, I mean I, I prefer a knobby synth. Knobby, I really do. Which is what I love about. And you know, actually going back to the Moog, like the little fatty, that's a lot like the Waldorf. It's laid out differently, but it's the same concept. There's only four knobs on a little fatty, right? And depending on what is set under it, which could be anything from four to six to eight different things that it could be set on that that knob then controls. Which bothers me too, but because of this other reason, the other thing that bothers me about synths like that is that you can't, let's say on the Blofeld, so I make my adjustments, I've made all four or five adjustments. Now I'm going to go to a different page. Everything has now changed. All those knobs I adjusted. As long as you else. save it. <laughs> right, well, you there's gotta, that. You got to save it. There's that. But also... As I'm making these new changes on this new page, I can't see the changes I made on the previous page. You know oh, what I mean? On a different patch? No, on the same patch. You can't see all the parameters on one page. No, but once you've set it and you go to another parameter, whatever you set it at, it doesn't move. I understand that, but I can't see it. Well, you just push the button and go back to it. But that's just it. And I have to keep going back and forth. Whereas on the one or, you know, on, on an original analog synth, you could just look right down and go, why did I put that filter on? What was that wave? What was that wave shape I had that set on? What, how fast am I got this oscillator set? And I can just look, there's the knob. I can see it. Right. Well, that would work on modern synths, but the old ones, it would have been, you never, you know, well, you, you, create a sound, you never get yeah. that sound again. That's Approximations true. of it, maybe. That's true. Um, and then now you can, I mean, God, there's synths you can literally store thousands of your own presets. Which to me, that's just insane. There comes a time, I think, with in in modern world where the options have created such a guilt of not trying all of them, right? That, that you, things come to more of a standstill than they would have otherwise been. Well, I had that problem with the Evolver, you remember, um, because it had so. It, it was the first synth that I ever owned that had um, just a multitude of things that. You, you know, then you then take for granted once you have them. Um, but like four LFOs and four oscillators and three envelopes and everything in, you know, bigger amounts than anything I had played with before. And then naturally, because of that, you get into the false, you know, belief that, well, now every patch that I write, every sound I design has to use all of this. Yeah. Right. And then, because then you're in a pickle. And as you know, I mean, I have a lot of great sounds on my Evolver, but I also have probably a couple of hundred of them that, oh, they're interesting, all right, but they're not really anything that I would use in a recording or in a song or anything like that. And that's just because they're over engineered, although it was a great learning tool for me. Well, restraint is a hard thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Restraint in general is one of the, probably one of the hardest things in the world. And yet, it's one of the things that, universally is kind of looked up to and respected. For instance, if, uh, if, if Bruce Lee, let's just pick somebody that's not around to argue with me. If Bruce Lee walked in, cause you really don't want to argue with Bruce Lee. Well, not too much. Not no. too much. If, uh, if Bruce Lee walked into someplace and somebody insulted him and he immediately just beat the crap out of him, you would not have a lot of respect for Bruce Lee. If, Bruce Lee stood there and some guy insulted him and Bruce Lee took the high road, right? Or as we call it, or, or, you know, showed restraint. Well, your respect for him went up, even though he didn't show you any of his skills, you knew he could. It's that. So it's kind of that same thing. You have to have the power, but then not use all of it all the time. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny, but when you think about Superman, right? He's got a freeze breath. He's got laser vision, right? He's got super speed, super strength, and uh, probably something else. 
Okay, so he's got those things. Imagine if every time he met a villain... X-ray vision. Oh, thank you. X-ray. If every time he met a villain, he used all of those right away, all at once. Well, it would be... Every episode would be very short because there's no nobody that could have stood up to all of that all at once. I get, I get what you're saying. In order for us to live lives that are more like comic book TV shows... See, now we now should we should show more restraint in the things that we do in life, and then that way we will. Here, let me let me show some 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 restraint. There we go. Uh, there's a little, little liquid restraint right there. All right. I'm just saying we respect restraint. We we like the idea of restraint. Um, if Steve I comes out and starts playing ten thousand notes a second, you're bored quickly. If he holds back and then all of a sudden does a burst of speed, it's oh that's impressive. You know what I mean? I like Re- that, yeah. Restraint's impressive. So knowing somebody can do it, you know, go ahead and make my day, punk. He didn't he wasn't pumping bullets into the guy. We're excited about the the idea that he's not pumping bullets into the guy. He's showing restraint. Yeah, I think he does blow the guy's head off in the end. Though. Well, I'm just talking about up to that point. We don't quote the actual boom right, you know, okay, at the end, okay. but you know what I mean? The, the oh, point no, no, I get it. Yeah, I get it. So I, I think that as we do anything in music, that's something to think about. You know? I, I think you're right, though. I think, you know, it, it's that whole, and, and the whole thing about I, I, I don't mean James Taylor song. restraint, because that's a lot of restraint. That's a different thing. That's a whole different podcast. You know, that's a different restraint. That and is. there's nothing wrong with James Taylor. I love no, James Taylor no, when you're not. in the mood for James Taylor, but, you know... For me, that that's a, he's got. He'll probably get into heaven faster than I will, but it, and, and I don't mean time wise. I mean like easy wise. But you know, I, as a restraint level, I couldn't have that level of restraint. I gotta cut loose more than that. I get you. So, you know, I when I when I program something on a synthesizer, I do the same thing. Oh, I haven't used this oscillator. I can you know, and I start out thinking. Well, I won't overuse this. I'm just going to add this in a little bit because I got a great sound. It sounds great. I'm just going to, I mean, it's just sitting here. What's, the, I could save it and walk away, but God, you know, it's just this extra oscillator. What if I just, just gently pull it in the bottom? It just fills it out a little bit. And then you do that and you go, oh. <laughs> and what, what if I add this? And what if I, and, and you, it, then you start adding effects and it's the stopping. It's like gambling. When do you stop? When do you stop? Well, you know, once you've, once you in your mind, have tried every single combination you can think of. Because that way you, you know... Well, that's impossible. For, for a, well, no, but that's what I'm saying. For In your mind, what you what you think. I is, think what we do is we hear something and it sounds good and you go, oh, I can make that better. But if it gives you the fizz right away, if it immediately makes you sound good, if it immediately feels right, and you, you go, oh, I can tweak that. I can make, maybe, maybe, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe as soon as it sounds like it means something and, and sounds like, oh, as soon as you get the, oh, maybe we should just leave it. Well, see, I mean, that obviously that and that makes sense. And, and I agree to the point that there are many hit records that you've heard over the course of your life. I mean, forever, uh, especially since there have been presets on keyboards, um, the 80s, uh, that have very pronounced and very important keyboard synth parts in the songs, which are factory presets. Yeah. Right. And I, and probably more so than not. I mean, there there were a few people that kind of pioneered a little bit of, you know, Bernie Worrell, Bernie Worrell was one of those where he, you know, and Stevie wonder too, really come to think of it. I mean, these are guys that, and Stevie wonder was working with either an ARP or a mini Moog or something like that, but some kind of mono synth and, uh, was getting some great, 
amazing sounds out of him that sounded like Stevie Wonder, right? It didn't sound like Emerson Lake and Palmer or whatever. It was like he made his own sound with these machines. And I think all that's great and fabulous. Fabulous. But, but the fact that the modern stuff gives you all that and then a box of something else, you know, a whole other box of something else, which um, opens up those possibilities to the point where you could spend the rest of your life just cooking up sounds, really just cooking up sounds. And, and, and among the sounds you cook up, there would be some that are amazing. And, but scattered all along with them are ones that are just useless. <laughs> uh, you know, they don't really even sound that good. And, and if they do sound interesting, it's like, well, how, where would you ever use that right. music? Car crash can right, sound right. interesting, but we're not going to use it either. Exactly. Okay, so let's contrast that ethos. God, I used to word ethos a lot lately. Is that the word? I'm going to go with it. Okay. All right. I think I say um a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, I can, if you can contrast that ethos with... Somebody like, let's say, for instance, a Steve Wonder. A Stevie Wonder. I don't mean Stevie Wonder. I said Stevie Wonder. Right, because you were thinking about him because you were thinking you just of, said yeah, that. You just... Stevie Winwood. Okay. You see, he was very close. Uh-huh. So Stevie Winwood, which was not very relevant today, seemingly, but boy, back in the 80s and early 90s, he was everywhere. I mean, he right. was ubiquitous, kind of like uh, uh, Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. He was just everywhere. And you know, Winwood's got a, a pretty illustrious and uh, respectable career as an actual musician, yeah. hanging out with actual musicians. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, man, when you hear that keyboard tone, that what? Which I was that an ARP? It might have been an ARP. Yeah, you know, I have to confess that I'm not. I've never really been. But you know, we all know the sound. I'm not really familiar. We all know with. that sound, that reedy sound that he uses as his solo sound. And every time that comes on, you go, "Oh, that's Steve Winwood." He doesn't, what other sounds does he use? We have no idea. Organ, maybe, you know, sometimes, but in general. Maybe he just has one of those things that only has one sound. But my point is that he's kind of hung his career keyboard-wise, synthesizer-wise, on that sound, and look how well it's did for him. I mean, hit after hit with that sound being the solo that he went to. Well, people like repetition. It's like Pat Metheny with that one synthesizer sound that he kept going to, that that fluty kind of a synthesizer thing he played from his guitar. That became his signature sound. Well, you could argue even Rick Wakeman sort of had, and he and it wasn't. It was a little, he had a little more variation. Yeah, he his. had more sound effect. But, but I mean, you know, but he played organ, he played piano. Yeah, but I mean, just the synth. Just talking okay, about well, the synth, yeah, right? Yeah, that the Mogi thing, right? And because he played mini mugs, and he had a couple of them, and they were set up different, and they were the old ones that didn't have presets. Right. So you know, he'd have he was like, tuning oscillators. He the was whole basically show. doing you know everything, adjusting all his envelopes and filters and LFO speeds and all that, all by either. Having Having marks or notes or or what or just memory, I would imagine. After a while, they played a lot of shows, but uh, it, no matter what it sounded like, no matter what wave was at the the base of it all, it all sounded like a Rick Wakeman solo, right? Right, and uh, and you can say the same about Stevie Wonder. I mean, it, they might have been slightly different, but yet it's and a lot of that I guess has to do with the player too, the actual playing of the of the keyboard yeah. synth rather than just the sound itself. Yes and no. I mean, I had a friend who was there when uh, Stevie Wonder did a sound check way back in the day, and he was telling me that he he, he heard uh, it was when Stevie was carrying around the Kurzweils, right? Remember when they were first came out, mm-hmm. and uh, they were mind blowing. I mean, how the realism of them compared to what everything else was. Because other samplers, there was Synclaviers, right, and Fairlights, but nobody was taking them on the road. And there was, I think, the Mirage, maybe. Uh, Frank Zappa did. Frank Zappa okay. took a Synclavier. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't but, know. But I wasn't then, there, yeah. but. Oh, he, he's got, that's two mentions. Yeah, how about that? Double mention. Hmm. Honorable. 
And he said he was up in the, the stadium when uh, the guys were testing the keyboards. And he said when they played the horns for the first time, you know, he, and this is the first time he had ever heard non-horned horns, real horns, not simulated mm -hmm. with, you know, a saw wave, but actual, you know, sampled horns. Actual. <laughs> uh, right. Actual, totally fake. Actual, virtual, pretend-like. Ungenuine horns. He said it was just eye-opening and jaw-dropping, and basically all the things on his face expanded uh, because the realism at the time compared to what was out there. And so the excitement for that being produced for keyboards back then... Oh, my God, that meant a keyboard player could replace an entire horn section. Right. Right? I mean, you just... You just lessened your um expenses on the road right there boom done yeah and 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 horn players are notorious for not showing up for band practice well, i mean <laughs> among other sorted not the things. keyboard players are honestly right. that no, much no, no. better about showing oh no up sure they are because they usually play church gigs on sundays i see right i see well yeah why not right, right. that's a that's a very lucrative market mm -hmm. nowadays. you get that extra whatever yeah that's a big thing I, that's in a whole nother discussion but there's a lot to talk about one of the things i strive for is is i want the I guess you could call it cherry picking, but I'm looking at the different sections of music and I want to combine them. So I want, for instance, the way Rush used synthesizers mm -hmm. or uh, a band I, I used to listen to sometimes is Loverboy. Oh, I just love Loverboy. And yeah. what I liked about Loverboy, one of the things was the way they used synthesizers. Mm -hmm. It was never like the cars, same same kind of thing. Yeah, cars. yeah. Where it was this it's, great support. It's a guitar thing. band, but it's there. Right. Duran Duran. Duran Duran is another great yeah. example of how to use synthesizers. Right. I agree. Sometimes they're a big thing. But a lot of times they're this important texture, this important driving syncopation or this or just a supportive note that finishes the chord or shows you where the salient note is of that chord. Like that, exactly. Rush used to use that a lot with a monophonic note. If you listen to a lot of Spirit of the Radio, those monophonic Moog notes, while simple to play, because you know he wasn't uh, he was just getting into the keyboards. I identify anyway. with that right, right. <laughs> very but, much. But so important if you take that out, not only does the song not sound as cool or not as nice or whatever, but Musically, it loses some of its pith, and man, I got—I'm whipping out the vocabulary. Wow, this just is like a, this is this a big word, Dan. Thank you. By putting in the synthesizer, it said we are a multi-dimensional band. We are not just about right. the posing of these instruments. We are about creating the song for the song's sake, and we're not—we're not bringing in an orchestra because that's not us. So we're gonna, you know, do this thing like the Beatles when they used a synthesizer, right? It, it, on the latest, on the last supportive. albums, and that's my whole philosophy on synthesizers. And I think why I'm so attracted to them. Although, to be honest, like my real introduction to them were solos from people like George Duke and Rick right. Wakeman and things like that. Well, you're such it a zappa head, you know? right? And it, but it was, it's it really is that what is, they're called? What are zappa fans called? I don't know, um, zappa fans. That's not good. I'm I, going with zappa head. Barking, tells barking them. pumpkins. Because <laughs> that was his record label, Barking Pumpkins. All right, so Barking so, Pumpkins, okay. Yeah. Might as well, let's start it if it doesn't exist. Well, Pumpkinhead's already taken. But yeah, they just, um, it was the textures of the synthesizers that really, when when I really started to understand music in a more, you know... Um, and you're not a big guy that likes sort of keyboards and synthesizers that sound like keyboards or even real instruments like strings. Well, no, and that there's kind some there's some great pieces of music that I like that are either piano based or electric piano based or uh -huh. something like that. And and it, to me, it, to me, it's like it's a flavor. And it's when it, it and I'll give you a great example: the Doors. Okay, yeah. Um, they had that one keyboard sound. And that sound was the, the keyboard sound. The electric piano? Right. The yeah, electric yeah, yeah. piano and then the, the little um, key bass yeah, thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that was it. That was, the, that was the deal. And 
it's the to, Steve to Winwood like, thing, right? Right, exactly. It, it becomes like, okay, well, yeah, okay, that's so cool. The music is cool and all that, but there's not a lot of the, But the texture, it's like one song to the next, even if it has okay. a different feel. The so now you say that, but look at early Rush that we love. It's that one memory mode over and over and over again, doing essentially a very similar sound. Yeah, and they were, and you know what I liked about them though is they were simple enough solos that you could copy and play them even as a non-keyboard. Right. Which I still, by the way. As as long as I've been playing with synthesizers, um, I'm still am a, a hack keyboard player at best. Well, you say that, but I've I've heard you do some pretty impressive things. Uh, accidentally, you're best when you don't while. know you're being recorded. <laughs> right, I and mean, that's what I'm saying is it's like it's accidental stuff that only happens because you know because we did I one didn't cut where you it. soloed the you didn't know you were solo oh, you knew you were soloing <laughs> you didn't know you were playing you thought you were washing your car but as it turned out. You were soloing, and you were playing. I don't even remember what synthesizer it was. It might have been the little fatty. I think it was the little fatty. Yeah. And uh, like I remember because I know what you're talking right, yeah. about. Yeah. And you went the whole song it was what three and a half minutes, I think. Didn't know, and I just kept it. And we used the entire track. You didn't. You didn't do anything that I wouldn't have thought. Well, that's the perfect thing there. It was. It was spectacular. So you know, don't tell me you're not a keyboard player. You're well, not an intentional keyboard player. Okay, well, that's what I said. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, a hack, a hack player. Yeah. Um, I don't really. I mean, and, and the sad thing is, is the very first thing musically in my life at age five, I discovered a couple things. The Beatles being one. But, well, okay, but was Paul McCartney a real listens, piano player, or was he a hack piano player? Oh well, he's a piano player. Well, it depends on which Paul McCartney you're talking. Oh, about. <laughs> hang on. We have to have a controversy <laughs> alert. Just a moment. Wow, lights are going off. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's a big one. Yeah. Wow, I'm not going to take the fall for this controversy. You know, Wow, that's a segue. Can we do a sidebar? I have a real fondness for conspiracy theories. That's true, you do. I do. And, it, you know, it doesn't mean by any means that I believe any of them. But by the same <laughs> token, it doesn't mean that I don't. Right? I mean, because if it... It wouldn't be a conspiracy theory if it didn't have a, a, a good dose of ambiguity, right? right? Okay, yeah, sure. Well, and yeah, so, and so, so if it was clear cut, it wouldn't be a theory, right? Exactly. It would just be a conspiracy, <laughs> right? Exactly. That's, a that's crime. The, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, so we were talking. What were we talking about? I don't know about? if we can get into Fall and Paul because that's no, no, one, we, no, you know, whoever no. he is, whoever he is, <laughs> worst case scenario, worst case scenario, he's not Paul McCartney. Okay, let's say he's not. Worst case scenario, right? Because if he is Paul McCartney, there is no scenario. Okay, so the only scenario for the theory for any interest is he's not Paul McCartney. In which case, he replaced Paul McCartney back in what year? 67? 66. 66? Yeah. Wow. Okay, so 66. So that means Paul... Oh, there's, that's what, the, that, that, you know, the year is what, where all the evidence comes from. Okay. Because that's... Oh, uh, well, once again, know. don't open that worm. No, no, no. no don't no, open no, that no, worm. Listen, <laughs> don't open that worm. There's nothing to see it's here. It's not like a tauntaun. You can't sleep in it. Okay, but... So that means Paul McCartney, if that's true, right? If that were disclaimer, true. if that insane theory were true, right? That means he was in the Beatles for four years, five years. Yeah, the last four or five, right? and two that were popular. The last sixty-four to sixty-six when they really got interesting. And in, in, oh my God, yeah, no, the whole Beatlemania crowd, right, right? Yeah, that would have been sixty-six, but that's first, it. And so right. this guy, if it's this guy right. and not if that guy, right? Right. If it's not the same right. guy, always. So was. we're at uh, fifty-four years now. 
Oh, oh my God! Yeah, he's got way more experience. So even than if the real he's one. not the real but one, he's he the real is, one, right? right. Exactly, okay. he's the real one since. So then. that's a, that's an interesting podcast because there's a lot of situations where that now arises. When people talk about the Beatles, they talk about Sergeant Pepper, and it would have been that would've been one. This guy. Would have been that would have been his start, right? Right, which you know gives a lot of credence to the, right to the theory. Well, that's that's okay. The thing. Wow, we can't know. even get into that. No, I know, I know, I know. But it does bring up the topic of things like, okay, so what about um, the guy who's been in Journey now, the singer, longer than Steve Perry was? Is that true? I think it's probably getting close to true. If not you know true. what, I'll, I'll say this: I never saw Journey. I like the the Journey before Steve Perry, right? right? The original kind of right. Prog, and, and people forget journey. about right? the, oh there was God. one before like, Steve. The, I, I didn't buy any of those records, yeah. but I would have at the time. If, yeah. you know, if there weren't other artists that I had to buy right. and didn't have, couldn't get down. They did the, some cool keyboard stuff. Oh my god, and it was it was progressive, more synthesizer yeah, stuff. Although I, I don't, I'm not saying anything about the Steve Perry journey because they were for, they sold a gazillion records. Every girl I know loves at least eight different one of their songs. They they were as a band amazing. Yeah, um, he a, a phenomenal singer, probably one of the greatest. Of that version of like ballad rock singers of all time, I would give you that for sure. Uh, and uh, but I didn't buy it, right? right? I didn't buy it, which didn't which doesn't make me unfamiliar with it because you I've, don't mean you didn't right. believe it, you mean you literally didn't purchase it. I didn't purchase it, I didn't, I never owned any of their recorded. Music. Hey, the good news music is free now, dude, <laughs> right? Right? Well, I don't have to worry, my wife has all of it, right. But and, none and of the but none of the original Journey though. It's just all the you uh, know the. I might have some of it. I'll tell you one of Journey's best albums, uh, and it's not a known album. Most people don't even think about it. It's called Dream After Dream. Dream After Dream is that the album? Okay, so it's mid seventies though, right? No, it's eighties. Oh, so it's like real like popular Journey Journey. It's right? popular Journey, but they're doing. They went to Japan. And recorded this album that with an orchestra. Wow. And of all their albums, I find it to be the most um like let's go be musicians. Let's let's not worry well, about Well, that's the thing is they were. They right. were all they, they were, were a great top, band. Top it's like players, they just yeah. you know, they well, were making a gazillion bucks. Man. And the singing was soaring and the playing was in- incredible. And uh man, I tell you, some of the songs on there are some of the most literally the most beautiful songs i've heard from a band format like that well i would listen to that yeah and and variety is always good and you know like in bands like all the 70s progressive bands and then rush which kind of bridged into a different and of course went different ways there's so many different kinds just in within the rock genre there's a thousand different styles and unique sounds. Led Zeppelin, right? Who sounds like Led Zeppelin? Well, now. (laughs) But when Led Zeppelin was Led Zeppelin, who sounded like Led Zeppelin? Nobody, right? That's true. Once you reach the 30-year mark, anything's fair game, I guess. Right. Yeah, well, sure. Okay, so when you listen to a band, Mm -hmm. I've I've been having this theory lately, and I brought this up in a few other podcasts, but when you listen to an instrument in a band, context, you listen to a song, somebody's playing something. Do you think about the instrument itself as far as any details? For instance, Jonathan Cain's playing piano uh-huh. right, in some Journey song. Are you thinking, oh, that's an upright piano. Oh, that's a grand piano. Oh, that's a... No, no, no. Yeah. Don't think when, about that. When you're just listening to it's it, just piano. it's just piano. And okay. it's, and it's it literally, it's how that piano weaves into what else is, whatever do you, else is okay, going so on. Okay, if, so if Billy Joel's playing a piano or in this next song he's playing an electric piano, do you think about that? I don't think about it specifically, but obviously notice. If somebody were and, to bring it up right. and you're not thinking, to you it's just piano. 
As, you know, as a be, listener who's enjoying the song. It would be piano or electric piano. I mean, I would definitely okay. make a distinction between okay. the two. Okay. But I wouldn't be thinking about it's an electric piano or it's an acoustic or piano. Or what kind of electric or piano. Or what kind of... Is it right. a Wurlitzer? Right. Is it, it a suitcase? None of that would matter. You just, wouldn't it has piano. that sound. And just like if it's a saxophone, you're not thinking, right. is it, it alto? Is it tenor? Right. You don't care. Right. What Maybe if it's the it? upper end of soprano or the lower end of baritone, you'd think about it. But otherwise... You're not thinking about it, right? Yeah, it's, it's like it's a voice. Sad. You're not thinking about it unless, unless it's, again, unless it's obvious. Like if it's unless a, it's obvious. like if it's a one of those contra whatever. Right. So know, at the extreme ends, giant, you're going to think right, about it. But in the right, middle ranges, piccolo. it doesn't matter to you, right? Okay. So if if somebody's playing a song like a Jamiroquai song, for instance, to pick a, a, one of my favorite bands, and the bass and drums start, mm-hmm. are you thinking what type of snare drum that is? Of course not. Are yeah. you thinking? W- that bass was recorded direct versus it was mine. It's funny because the listening to the drums and the bass play is something that I'm automatically drawn to. And probably why I ended up being a bass player. Cause it's just something that I, like I hear all the dressing on top and all the melody and all the right. guitar, but, that's but, the but you're ball. instantly like the, it's how the drum and the bass lock. Right. And because it's not just lock and because that, that, although that happens too, and you know, pretty straight rock is like the bass and the drums are just locked. It's called the rock lock. It is the rock lock. Which is also a lock you can lock your guitar with. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have one, in fact. It's an interesting little thing. The more interesting bits of that is the interplay between the bass and the drums, where you're locked in, but you're locked in and weaving. Right, but you don't right? care about whether the bass is direct or it's a tube amp it or solid state. It you don't care. When you're listening, it doesn't matter. It either sounds good care. or it doesn't. And you're not thinking, oh, that's a P bass or that's a J bass or that's a music band. Not necessarily, band. although... Unless, once again, unless it's really obvious. Right, or, you know, second or third listening, I'm going, well, that kind of does sound like a jazz bass or whatever, right? It's How long did you listen to Leonard Skinner before you thought, oh, that's a Les Paul and a Strat? Um, or do you never think me, about that? I, again, I never owned any Leonard Skinner, but I have had roommates that had. Or that listen first to it on the radio. Do you ever think, yes. oh, that's a Strat or that's a Les Paul? No. Now, if you if you hear Mark Knopfler play, you think, oh, that's a Strat. Right. You Certain people you, is, th- right. you think that, but when you listen to Jimmy Page, you can't because you don't know which one he used. He could right. have been Natalie on that one. Right. We don't know. And, and they all sound like right. Jimmy Dan Page. Lytro. Right. And it all sounds like Page. And so I guess that's my point: is as as musicians, we tend to get so caught up in the gear. Here we are talking about the different kinds of synthesizers. But in the end, I always like to refresh everybody's, you know, uh, mindset with the idea that in the end, the audience doesn't care. That's true. They what they care about is how the song makes them feel and how 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 they respond to the music itself. And that can not come from the, anything. not what it was made from. It can come from anything, which means your sure. drum. Yeah. I mean, everybody. I shouldn't say everybody, but a, a, a lot of a people, many people. Yeah. A lot of people like the song. We will rock you. Yes. And the kick drum in that, and the snare drum, so to speak, I guess, the drums in that are people stomping on a staircase. Yes. I mean, you can literally make not only tons and tons of money, but lots and lots of people happy and feel strong emotions from almost anything if you work at that. And the other caveat of that is, can you put heart and soul and and create an emotion on the other end? Can you transmit emotion with your sound? And can you transmit the emotion you're trying to transmit? And if you find analog synthesizers do that, if you find digital, I mean, we're kind of in a spot in today's world where everything is valid. You know, there used to be much more judgment about what you're using and was yeah, it current, was it yeah. And now it doesn't matter if it sounds old 8-bit, you know, d- d- you know, Nintendo, or if it sounds the most modern cool thing. It, it, Everything is valid as long as it's used in a way with integrity. Yeah, integrity and creativity hand in hand. It's like 
it, put, let it, you know, and I, everyone thinks of it differently, but to me, it's like all real creativity, things that when you're done with it, you go, you're proud to be, to have been part of it. Right. There you go. And That's I a think, good way to put it. And I think that that is stuff that comes from outside of you. Hmm. Right. And then to really be creative, you have to open yourself up and allow uh, it, it flow. allow it to go flow, through you. And yeah, then it comes yeah, yeah. up the other side and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't think of that necessarily. Right. You can't call it an accident either, though, because it was intentional. Well, Eddie Van Hill, you say that. It's like, I'm not coming up with this stuff. I'm just letting it come through me. Right. Right. And a lot of people that really get it and some of the really good writers. Oh, spiritual, you know, it is spiritual, but it's also I think I mean, I believe it's true. I do. I believe that, um, you know, I have a lot of ideas and 99.9% of them are pretty ridiculous. You know I'll, what I mean? I'll watch for that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they are. They're pretty ridiculous. And, you know, the only, my saving grace is I have enough sense not to follow my own thoughts, right? You just, <laughs> you just, just got to let them go. I would enjoy a club that had me as a member. You know, on the other hand, getting back to the synthesizers and just music gear in general, that is the whole the whole point of it is right nowadays you have right a, nowadays right nowadays <laughs> I'm talking about not yesterday not yesterday Grandpa's but right got nowadays. a new phrase right nowadays. <laughs> right nowadays you got a lot of options and for and, and a huge range price wise right yeah, and yeah. like from what was your range what was it from I mean the depending one, on the ones like, we talked about uh, you know the polys. Of the really big ones, yeah. the, the big sins. Big meaning you know, capable, not necessarily the, physical the, size. Price-wise, the high end would be the Moogs, the Moog ones, 8, right? 8000 bucks uh, For the 16 boys, right. yeah. Um, although, God, who wouldn't want one of those? And that's right. that's a magic dream box. Oh, yeah, that sure, is. Yeah. But then again, like uh, also brought up the Quantum, the Waldorf Quantum, yeah, which is, which is a, a hybrid. Yeah. Um, it's only eight voices. You but can make a career on just that. Right, forty three hundred. I mean, this is vast. Yeah. This this synth is literally vast. It's the one that's got all the four different types right. of synthesis yeah, yeah, yeah. for the oscillators, and all of them have all options. Like the Blofeld, you have the options on the first two, but the third one is just VA, and there's none and, of that. And other you know, stuff. just real quick, I, I I meant to bring this up earlier, and I feel I feel compelled because there's one sitting right there, but the original Kurzweil K two thousands with ironically named vast. Architecture, V-A-S-T, right. were uh, almost identical to what you're describing in this new uh, Waldorf. They had wavetable, they had virtual analog, they had digital, and they had samples. Yeah, that's what the Blofeld has all that. Right. Um, the this had this goes beyond that. The okay. yeah the the quantum goes beyond that. It has all that and then some, it's so like the, a quantum leap. And again, I don't have in front of me. I don't have the actual stats, but um, I've looked at this quantum a lot. And and price wise, he really wants a quantum, folks. Let's just be honest. Forty three hundred bucks, which is and that's uh, the problem right there. But I mean, that's still that's you know what twenty five hundred bucks or or over two thousand dollar difference from the Moog. That's right? true. So yes, it's still a high end, very expensive synth, but it, it's closer. But then you, I mean, stuff like the Jupiter X or Jupiter Ten or whatever they call it, that's twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah. Now you're talking about, well, that's kind of you know, like there's guitars that cost more than that. Sure. Oh yeah. You know, not and they're not even the super high end yeah. guitars. And uh, and then you know, all the way down. Well, the the Novation has a sixteen voice too called the Summit, and I don't know a lot about it, but I know I love Novation. And, and, and even the new Behringer Poly-D, which is a viable alternative, and it's essentially a recreation of the original memory mode, right. D, that thing's, what, 700 bucks, 800 bucks? It's, not, it's under a grand, isn't it? it? Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah. I believe Because that's kind of their thing. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool that the fact that you can get that kind of power 
for that kind of money. I mean, that's that's impressive. So your choices are, are <laughs> vast. <laughs> right. The day is vast. Korg does a um, another one of these kind of. Well, this one's like the minilog and the monologue, which are their two little, you know, Captain's mini log, and mono. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, those are under a grand. Uh, the prologue, which is a 16 voice poly, $1,500. Now you're talking about less than an American Fender guitar. And of course, we're talking new prices. It's not like these, this yeah, these are new. This is like, you know, I got this. I think I got these prices off a of musician's friend. But I mean, th that's the point. Is like, and and we're not even talking about mono synths, where because there's a lot of those you can get in the hundred dollar range for right. these little mini ones. Right, and true. believe it or not, they are packed with yeah. features. Well, you know the little teenage engineering Horror thing, things. that little bass um, oh, yeah, sequencer yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, right? Yeah. I mean that it looks like it's essentially the size of and looks like an old 1970s calculator. Well, I mean, if you're going to get right down to it, there are synthesizer apps you can download to your phone. Yes, true enough. And those sound amazing. They, yes, Just amazing. Yes, they you do. You could do an album with your phone. There's, 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 and that's all true. But it does come down to, at some point, it comes down uh, to the, the tactile interfa interface, yeah, interface yes. and sound and capabilities. I think the, in today's world, a lot of uh, people that have grown up with technology are used to, I will adapt to the technology, I will adapt to this interface, but at some point... It's it's time you to know, consider you know, what's the best way it, to. It's funny because it, our expectations for the quality of the sound that we're listening to are pretty flexible. And I'll give you a great example. I have an earlier today in this very studio. We were listening to uh, three thirty five being played through a really nice Mesa amp, right? It's the um, Fillmore. What amp is it? Fillmore, Fillmore fifty, right? Yeah. And so immediately this three thirty five coming through this Fillmore fifty, and we were like, oh my god, that is what a guitar. That is just yeah, immensely beautiful tone. This right. is like what could make this better. But then, <laughs> but the thing about it was, is a, a new pedal found its way into the studio, yeah. and it's just a clean boost, right? It's just, yeah, a, just a, a clean ultrasonics uh, uh, steel string. Yeah, steel string. Exactly, yeah. it's the steel string, and very simple. It's got gain level, and then and it's got filter, this secret little filter, filter knob, knob in the middle, which we didn't know at first, but essentially it's a. Um, as you roll it counterclockwise, it sort of sounds like it's increasing the lower mid-range yeah. and the opposite direction, you're kind of increasing the upper mid-range. Feels like. And or whether or not it's tricking us into thinking it's being boosted because it's just cutting the other and the other. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how it actually works. It does seem to get louder works. though. But it does seem to get louder, yes. But, oh. And shoot. all of a sudden, and and just in a neutral setting on this pedal, so nothing nothing extreme, just a, everything new. Nothing untoward. Right, and then boom, we kick it on, and all of a sudden, <laughs> it's like what we had just thought was the most heavenly and gorgeous and perfect guitar tone is now unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I mean that's like, that but that's garbage. kind of the, that's the progress. And then once you hit that point, right. then what's the next step? And then at some point, it becomes like tone becomes unobtainium. And and here's the thing, and here's the other side of the thing that I've been kind of thinking about lately, the philosophy behind all this, right, is yes, we were blown away by the first sound, and then we did this modification to it, and we thought, oh, that's even better. But if we had never heard the first tone, the second tone would have been great, and we would have enjoyed it. If we'd never heard the second tone, we would have enjoyed the first tone. Yes. And all the comparisons that everybody's always doing in a music store setting, a studio setting, a podcast or YouTube video setting 
it's all direct comparison. We, in fact, the more the direct the comparison is, the the more happy we are about it. Oh, I can really tell. Listen, he played those two chords in the Les Pauls right next to each other, so I can totally tell which one's better. Okay, great. But in real life, in a song, that's never going to happen. Right. And so, what Les Paul did did he use on the Leonard Skinner album? Was it his best Les Paul? Did he use a different Les Paul on the next one? Did he use a better one on the second album? Alex Lifeson, do you know what he used? Do you care? Does it matter? Did he use a Marshall? Did he use a Super Reverb? There's rumors. You don't know for sure. Did he use a high watt? Once again, it doesn't matter. You don't really think about it when you're listening to it. And if you're pursuing what your heroes did, you might want to think about more where it came from rather than how they got there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And which is, I have to say, frankly... Uh, a very unusual topic to be discussed at this particular studio because it, it, it's a studio packed with amazing, wonderful gear for every occasion and every possible tone. But yet the, the what you're saying, the philosophy of it, makes perfect sense because ultimately when you get right down to it, musicians are a snobby bunch and and we should just take pride in that. And, and that, that snobbiness comes out in, well, the people that are going to listen to my music um, they're going to hear the music. They're going to hear the part that kind of came through me that I ended up recording and putting together. Right. But me, as I'm recording that or playing it live or whatever, while I'm doing it, it's important to me that I you have inspired. this. Right. I, I, this guitar is the guitar that really makes me feel that. Because you know how they're all done. Guitars, right. you, even two of the same model, right. aren't. they're never the same. I've, and I've had, I was with the So Ricks, the co- important know, comparison is, is, is at the moment of, of when you're recording it because yes that first tone might have inspired me a certain way but it's worth searching for the other one until i go oh my god now i'm inspired you know it, it kind of it's it's like and i see this with just if you just took different guitars through the same amp the same settings no pedals you're just playing guitars one to the next to the next and yes they all have their own personality as far as the tone and timbre of the sound coming out but more than that it's the player experience, right? It's what it's how this it's it's the ease or the difficulty in which whatever's coming out of it is coming out. And obviously, if it's easy, then it has it just has this flow. And if it's difficult, it has more edge, right? And it's it's that it's that okay, whole so thing. Okay, so do you so do you think that Rick Wakeman having to tune those oscillators and control all those filters and everything all the time because they were randomly moving and and whatnot? I need, there was no such thing as presets. Do you think that? extra level of involvement and uh, caretaking, so to speak, made his parts more meaningful than somebody who's got a digital synth that can just play like, you know, not necessarily, but I will say I have, I have seen concert footage of him in the seventies where while he's playing a solo with his left hand, he's twiddling away. Yeah. Yeah, He's making adjustments because he's trying to, he's, he knows what he's looking for. Right. And he's in the ballpark. And again, I don't think anyone in the audience at that time, nor the person watching the video, the 50 year old video or whatever it is now, 45 years, um, would, if he wasn't fiddling around and trying trying to reach for something else, would have ever thought anything of, well, that's not how it sounds on the record, right? Because it's in the ballpark and it's not the, it's not that. It's not even the synth it is. It's the notes he's playing and the way he's playing them. Right. Right. It's his feel. It's his speed. It's the way he does it. And, and again, that like I found that as a teenager, I got turned on to that kind of stuff and I found it very attractive because up to that point, everything was guitar. Right. And it's like now all of a sudden there's a, and it's not like something that's now competing with the guitar. It's adding a whole adding. new texture to the entire thing. Right. I don't like all keyboard bands. 
No, I don't either. Generally. Now, that being said, there's a few. I well, Flock of Seagulls, but they had a guitar player, too. Well, yeah, I like the texture of the guitar somehow matters. But anyway, I don't I don't know exactly what we've come around to in this, but we've had some interesting I think overall, um, I'll say this, just what I kind of gleaned from, Ooh, uh, nice from being... Gleaned. Oh, another like one. That. Okay, That's see, good. we're really going for it today. Yeah. Um, it was the, just the idea that there is right now, there's a lot of available synthesizers, especially yeah. the big poly, the big giant pad machines right. or whatever. And, and which, by the way, you don't have to play pads on them. You can still play basses and leads, right? That's it's true. like, yeah. you know, they're synthesizers. Yeah. They don't just do one thing, but there are so many new ones right now. And ones that have been out in, you know, just recent years that are, um, amazingly capable um, vastly deep, just, I mean, vast, you vast word of the day. they are into the, you know, you can go to the depths on some of these machines and, and pull out sounds that you, you could never have dreamed of, right. you know, 10, 15 years ago. And because of all that, and because the price range from one end to the other goes from, you know, more or less affordable, because we're not talking about the little cheap monos. These are bigger poly synths. And what I say about a thousand bucks or thereabouts on the low end for one of these new. Yeah. So used, you know, what are you talking about, six, seven hundred bucks? Yeah, if you get a used one, sure. Yeah. But I mean, the point is, like what you said, is these are all things, if you want to get tactile and really get in and, right. and, and craft some sounds and, and add the the whole synth texture to whatever music you're doing, and I think it works basically anywhere. And it has been basically, even country songs have used synthesizers. Point is, is even, uh, even outside of all these things, there is the software. If you're just, if the idea is to create the music, then the audience doesn't care what machine you're using to make it with anyway. So no, in know. fact, it used to be considered cool to go to the the whatever the newest cutting edge was. Jimi Hendrix went to the newest cutting edge effects. Uh, even the Beatles were they were the first people to use synthesizer. Essentially, right. you know. So I mean, that was the thing is they were always going to the cutting edge. And nowadays, musicians tend to be in two camps: either the the more conservative or the super progressive cutting edge. And so there literally is something for everybody nowadays. And that's kind of the cool thing is there's something for everybody. And, uh, you know, we've tried to cover a little bit of it. We'll get deeper into some of this stuff later, but it's probably a good place to end it for now. I think so. I think we basically made some kind of statement. Thanks so much for joining us. We are so happy that you guys could come visit with us at Gear and Gigs. Make sure you check us out on Spotify and Apple Music and Podbean. Check in with us on Twitter, Instagram, and of course, Facebook. And you can always email us at info at gearandgigs.com. Be sure to subscribe and follow us for all the latest updates on all the upcoming podcasts. I'm Jen Stone. And I'm Reggie. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Thanks so much. <laughs>